Jordan, my man, hope you had a good Easter weekend. Uh, here we come with our pregame, our warm-up topic. And I think we got to just dive right into this thing because, boy, was it an incredible last weekend of sports. And it sort of crept into the rest of the week as well. We are recording this on Wednesday night, April 7th. Uh, and so the warm-up topic has to be that Jalen Suggs shot. That's right, the near midcourt banker winner in overtime for Gonzaga against UCLA, one of the NCAA tournament's greatest shots which ended one of the NCAA tournament's greatest games in the Final Four semifinal. But uh, now that we know what we know, and Gonzaga would end up not finishing the deal in the championship game against Baylor, what is your opinion of that shot, of that game? Is it affected by the fact that Gonzaga didn't finish off the whole thing? Yeah, it has to be, right? A great shot. Absolutely great shot. What a... What a game that was. That might have been the best game of the tournament, that, that semifinal with UCLA and Gonzaga. Incredible. Jalen Suggs, I, I, I love that guy. I, I think he's terrific. I think he's going to be a, a really solid pro. Um, but it, it, there are a number of iconic shots, right? Not a lot that have gotten teams to the NCAA championship game. But, right, I mean, Bryce Drew for Valpo. Was that a first-round game? Like Tyus Edney, some of these, right? But I, I still think, like, the Christian Leitner shot, because they were down one at the time in overtime. What was that, an Elite Eight game? They go on to win the championship, right? So it just – it means a little bit more. And this is nothing against Jalen Suggs, but had they won the championship two nights later, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a bigger shot. It just is. I, I think that's just kind of how the world works when it comes to, to those buzzer beaters. It'll be replayed forever, right? It'll be part of all the montages, but it will also be the year that Gonzaga lost – a perfect season in the national championship game. That's just, that's just how it goes. Yeah, and I think exacerbated by the fact that it was such a lopsided loss in the championship game, and we'll get to that here in a moment. But as I was watching that thing play out, watching that Gonzaga-UCLA game, I, I, it dawned on me. I was thinking, this is maybe one of the best basketball games I've ever seen, and I don't think that I'm overstating that. I don't think it's a recency bias. I think it was that good. Uh, just what UCLA was doing. Johnny Juzang just was tremendous. He looked like an NBA player. Uh, and then Jalen Suggs, you know, doing uh, what he did in his heroics uh, in the overtime period. Uh, but you're right. They, they, they needed to finish it off. I liken it to the Warriors winning 73 regular season games and then not winning the championship, uh, getting knocked off by the Cavs in 2016. And yeah, it sullied it a little bit. It wasn't as great an accomplishment to win that many games in the regular season because they didn't have the hardware at the end. And that's just the nature of things. And, and right or wrong, uh, I think that that comes with the territory. If they finish that thing off, then yeah, I think we look at that. We look at the Leitner shot, and then you can almost compare them on par. But the fact that Duke won the whole thing, the fact that you've had game winners in the championship game itself, uh, I do think that that means you gotta put Jalen Suggs, even though it was a crazy almost mid-court bank shot don't know if he called it uh, but you gotta sort of put it in the back of the line a little bit behind some of those other shots uh, that we're referring to all right welcome to the show let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley uh, we were guestless last week but we got a guest this week and we're very stoked and excited to be talking with Baldwin head baseball coach Craig Okita uh, he is now coaching for the Braves in the All Pono Spring Baseball League. He is actually the commissioner of that league, but it's basically club baseball being played in lieu of sanctioned high school baseball games 
on the island of Maui. It is simply an opportunity and it took some doing to get this thing okayed by the county, by all of the other powers that be. It is again unsanctioned by the MIL, but these players are at least getting a chance to play some competitive baseball. Even though it looks different, even though you have coaches and umpires wearing masks, players asked to wear masks in the dugout, a very different environment and atmosphere certainly than what we're used to over there on the island of Maui. Uh, but a lot of really high-quality, talented baseball players at least get a chance to throw the ball and swing the bat uh, to a certain degree here. Uh, and I think that uh, that is worth an applause and, and worth uh, some recognition. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, for, for a lot of these kids, right, it's something, just something. It's been a long go of it, especially for, you know, a lot of these kids that play the spring sports like baseball and, and some of the other ones. They, they had all last season wiped out as well. And, and then this one, uh, kudos to, to all the folks that, that really made it happen. And, and Craig gets into that a little bit. And, and yeah, I, I think it's just it's a it's a, a real shining bright light that hopefully is shining towards a, a brighter future for these kids to get out there and, and, and just compete and be around each other. All right. So we're not going to ask Craig this because there are bigger fish to fry. Uh, but I will ask you this, Jordan, as a Baldwin alum, uh, we mentioned that the Baldwin Bears team, it's comprised of, let's be honest, Baldwin players exclusively, but they're the Braves. And I'm thinking, why wouldn't they adopt the nickname the Cubs, being that they're the Baldwin Bears, essentially, it's all wink, wink anyway. And I understand it's not sanctioned. And so there are certain rules that they have to follow. But I mean, they should be the Cubs, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember uh, like the JV teams at times, like in the school newspaper, they would be called the Cubs because it makes all the sense in the world. But it's logistics, right? I mean, they, they wear a hat with a B on it. It stands for Braves now, Canal. It's real easy. It's real, it saves on cost. Well, the Maui High team is the Royals. So I'm not sure what's happening there. Shouldn't Maui High with the M? Like, they could have been the Mets. Come on, guys. Why didn't they ask me for some of the uh, feedback and advice? Yeah, on you know, you're right. Started? You're right. That, that's, <laughs> we could have we gotten a little bit, a little bit more. I, f I just figured Royals, blue, right? I, I, I just assumed that they were just going to wear, like, blue shirts. Mm -hmm, Maybe mm -hmm. turn the ones inside out if they can't have the official school stuff on it. Next thing you know, you're the Royals. <laughs> Well, leave it to me to focus on all the wrong things at a time that is so significant where these players are actually able to play some baseball. All right, let's get to our game time. And we go back to that national championship game in men's college basketball. Baylor ballers. Baylor clobbered Gonzaga in the title game. 86-70. Jared Butler dropped 22 in the final, was named the Final Four most outstanding player. The Bears thus prevented what would have been the first undefeated season since Indiana in 1976. Uh, so watching this thing play out and seeing such a dominant performance by the Bears, were you disappointed in how that game ultimately transpired? Yeah, I mean, the game was kind of a dud, right? In, in terms of drama, you, you can't throw enough superlatives in the direction of, of Baylor. They were out, uh, unbelievable. I mean, just shot the lights out. The thing that kept impressing me is so often – we see these final four games. They're played in domes. They're played in big football stadiums. Why this one was still played in a football stadium when they can only invite so many people? It's like, why aren't we playing this at Hinkle Fieldhouse? Or, you know, one of those, right? How cool would this have been if it had been at Hinkle, right? You know, the, the, the home of Butler, the site of Hoosiers and all the good stuff. But no, we're going to go play it in the football stadium. Anyway, I digress. But usually you see teams get into these dome stadiums and they can't shoot worth a lick, right? Because the shooter's eyes all thrown off. 
The depth perception is is nothing like they usually deal with. I think back to that UConn-Butler championship game a few years ago. What was that? The Shabazz Napier year, I think. The second of the UConn championship games. And nobody could throw it in the ocean. Nobody could shoot. They're playing in some dome. Uh, but Baylor apparently just practices in domes or something. Because, they, I mean, the shots that they were hitting were barely – the net wasn't even moving. They just shot the lights out. Gonzaga – I didn't even think they played that bad, but they got run out of the gym by this Baylor team, and obviously on the glass, the, what, what, what Baylor was doing on the boards and just dominating Gonzaga on the glass. Jalen Suggs early foul trouble, but it, it was all about Baylor. you know. And, and people are going to dwell on Gonzaga and how they failed to finish off the perfect season and they can never get over the hump and all this, yada, yada, yada. Eh, whatever. It's about Baylor. The, the, the Bears, Jared Butler, I mean, everybody, everybody that got in the game for Baylor played like the game of their life. And it was just – it was so impressive. And, and I was I was rooting for Gonzaga. I, I, I Big Gonzaga fan, West Coast team. You know, they're, they're still the mid-major at the end of the day. But, you know, I wasn't disappointed Baylor won because that was ultimately deserved. And what a job that group did and what Scott Drew did. But just the, the lack of drama, right? Because the we saw what we saw from the Gonzaga-UCLA game. We were hoping to get a little bit more of that. But – but ultimately, it was it was Baylor's night, kind of like it was Bama's in football, right? We've had some some less than dramatic national championship games this year. Yeah, I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that maybe Gonzaga didn't really have their legs, at least at the start of that game. They got punched in the mouth, and all credit us to go to Baylor. I think that Baylor team playing that way, I mean, look what they did to Houston. Houston is darn good. And then what they did two nights later against Gonzaga, it is no joke. It is undeniable. Uh, that said, I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that maybe Gonzaga was a little tired after an overtime thrilling game, high on emotion, one of the greatest college basketball games as we're talking about being played, at least in recent memory, and a last-second shot. And, and so to come down from that and have to gather yourself and, and ready yourself to play a Baylor team that was just buzzing. I mean, they were running on all cylinders. Their intensity, their physicality, it was crazy. Davion Mitchell, who looked like Donovan Mitchell out there. I mean, the guy wears the same number, plays the same way. Uh, he was just fantastic. Uh, that Jonathan Chachua was just an absolute beast. Like, he looks like he could be a better, bigger Draymond Green defensively at whatever level of the game. Like, that's how incredibly impressive that guy was. And so they weren't bleeping around. And I think that that Baylor team playing that way could have beat a lot of teams that previously won national championships. Like I would suggest that maybe you could put that Baylor team up against a whole fleet of in other years, national champion teams. Like that's how impressive they were, but this notion, you kind of hear this narrative going around again, because Gonzaga, you always hear it coming from a mid-major conference, West coast conference, like, well, they're not as battle tested because they don't go through the big 12 like Baylor does, you know, Gonzaga goes up against the West coast conference field. And it's like, well, we weren't saying that just earlier in the tournament when they slugged out USC, when they got past UCLA, we weren't saying that earlier in the year when they beat Kansas and Auburn and West Virginia. And it's just like, you know, I, I think that's uh, Iowa was another one. It's like, I think we tend to overlook their accomplishments because we're trying to find an excuse as to why we saw such a lopsided game. And I think there are some theories you can apply, but at the end of the day, there's no stripping away the fact that Baylor was that darn good. And that Baylor team, forget Gonzaga, forget the rest of the NCAA tournament field. That was a team that could have beaten a lot of recent national champs, in my opinion.
All right. That said, over on the women's side, you actually had a final that was pretty dramatic and came down to the final seconds between Stanford and Arizona, an all-Pac-12 title game. And wow, what a, a great several weeks it was for the Pac-12. A little bit of a redemption story for both the men's and women's Pac-12 participants uh, because, you know, this is a much maligned conference. There's all kinds of talk about, you know, how bad the commissioner performed previously and how uh, hell-bent they are to try to make up some of the financial ground that was lost due to the Pac-12 network and other poor investments. Well, the Pac-12 had a day. In fact, they had a month and it happened to be the month of March. And that championship game on the women's side was really entertaining entertaining with the Cardinal edging out the Wildcats for its first title since 1992. Now, am I crazy in saying that the entertainment value of the women's tournament is on par with the men's tournament, not in any way trying to be politically correct, not in any way trying to come off as magnanimous, just straight up entertainment value, competitive ball games. I was rushing to the TV to watch some of these games. So am I crazy in saying that the women's tournament you know, for people that didn't give it a chance for whatever reason, they missed out because that thing was fun. Yeah, it really was. And I think, you know, from, from maybe the second weekend on, in a lot of ways, it was, it was more entertaining than the men's tournament. You had some unbelievable games. And you think of some of the stars, right, whether it's Ari McDonald who came up just a little bit short for Arizona. Uh, Haley Jones was outstanding for Stanford. Uh, Paige Beckers or, or Clark at Iowa, right, some of the young freshmen. Uh, that are that are playing their trade now on on the you know this this huge stage for women's basketball. You know the 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 knock on the women's game I, I think for a long time and you know I think partly fairly is that the the favorites usually win right. There aren't as many upsets in the women's tournament as there are in the men's tournament. Um, but you, you take the the twenty best teams or so in the women's game uh, and you can get some really competitive games. But you, you just don't see you know, the Oral Roberts, the 15 seed make the Sweet 16 or, or something like that quite as often on the women's side, even though they were they, they had the first 16 over one upset years before, you know, UMBC did it over uh, Virginia on the men's side. But you, you get into the Elite Eight, the Final Four, the championship game, and you just have the cream of the crop, right? That's the other thing in the women's tournament. Yeah, the favorites advance, but once you get down to strength on strength, the level of play is unbelievable. Um, the, the shot making, the creativity. And I think once you, once you get that, man, it is, it is as good as, as anything the men's tournament's going to throw out at you. And, and I think in a lot of ways, the, the games that we saw in the women's tournament really did not disappoint at all. And, and I think it goes back to the point, right? It's like, hey, give them the stage. Give them the stage. You won't be disappointed. Uh, tune in. It, it's a lot of fun. And, and what a way to end the tournament. Jeez, that what, what what a play that was by Stanford defensively on the triple team, the, the force, the miss shot. Uh, great drama. Yeah, Arizona beating UConn. I mean, anytime UConn goes down, just because they're such a, a giant, such a behemoth in the sport, uh, it does feel like a major upset and something that is worthy of attention. Uh, and you're right, you know, the early round upsets aren't quite as frequent on the women's side, but then look at the final in the men's. It was the two teams that uh, placed mm -hmm. one and two in the rankings the whole season, and it came down to those top number one seeds in the championship game, whereas at least you had an Arizona team that surprised many in getting to the championship uh, for the first time in program history, uh, only to get upended by a fellow Pac-12 school. Like, that was uh, pretty remarkable. And yeah, I, would, I would agree. I, I just think, uh, you know, it's, it's worthy of a chance because I think people will find uh, that uh, those games are really, really fun and entertaining. 
All right, speaking of fun and entertaining, uh, what has been referred to as hashtag VolumeGate occurred this past weekend. Here in the islands, the rivalry between Hawaii and Long Beach State in men's volleyball took an incredibly unexpected twist last weekend when beach head coach Alan Knipe complained to the officials during the match requesting that the artificial crowd noise in Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center be turned down or shut off. The officiating crew behind referee two down on the floor, Dixon Chun, mandated that the arena staff mute the ambient sound upon the service signal by the referee one. Now, to be clear, there is no such rule that exists. And obviously, we're dealing with some new ground here because of COVID and artificial crowd noise with not any fans being allowed inside these facilities. But there is no such rule that exists. Instead, the Big West does employ a decibel limit to the noise level that can be played, but it is at the discretion of the home team's arena staff when it can ramp up the sound to that limit. The fiasco provided some tremendous theater as both Knipe and UH head coach Charlie Wade engaged in a veritable face-to-face, -face, in this case, mask-to-mask, -mask shouting match courtside. If only we could have read the lips uh, because it would have been absolutely entertaining. But in the end, after much discussion and debate between officials, arena staff, you had athletics director David Matlin walk down to the floor. He didn't look happy. The Big West Commissioner's Office relayed to the refs that UH was within its rights to pump in the sound as they would. But what you would ultimately win, what was another classic five-set battle between these two programs, we know there is no love lost between the Bows and the Beach. But now it is all out there on display for the world to see, or I guess uh, in this case for the world to hear, who came out looking the best, who came out looking the worst in this crazy volume gate situation. All right, uh, here's a little self-aggrandizement. You know who looked the best? Us. Because on the podcast last week, the question was, is Long Beach Hawaii's biggest rival in men's volleyball? And we said, absolutely. And then this happened and we were proved to be geniuses. Because this, this is a rivalry, right? If it wasn't before, oh boy, it is now. And we looked, uh, we looked kind of smart in our little, uh, our little conversation we had on the podcast. Go check it out if you haven't listened to last week's episode. Um, surprise guest, wink, wink. Um, it, Hawaii, they come out looking the better here, right? Because first of all, all the points you just pointed out, there's no rule. They were very well within their right. The commissioner's office confirmed it in-game and, and... Come on, Long Beach. What's up with the whining? The other thing, <laughs> they were winning. They were up a set, and they were up in set two, kind of comfortably, right? I mean, it wasn't a huge, huge lead, but in rally scoring with the quality of those two teams. Yeah, I think they were up four at the time. Yeah, they yeah. were up four. And then they lost that set. They end up losing the match. And it's like, well, so what was so problematic? The serves were getting in. They were playing better than, the, than a shorthanded University of Hawaii squad who was down Colton Cowell. And so what I, I, I couldn't understand why they were so offended, why they were so bothered, why they were so perturbed by the fact the, the, the audio operator, right, the, the in-house DJ was, was pumping up the crowd noise. It's like they weren't losing. What, what was there to complain about? And they played better coming out of it, don't get me wrong. But then Hawaii came roaring mm -hmm. back, won the, won the second set, end up, as you pointed out, winning it in five. And so they win the match. They win the argument, right? Charlie Wade sort of stands up to Alan Knipe, the legendary coach there, who has gotten the better of him in the national championship game just a couple of seasons ago. And so I, th I think Hawaii comes – I mean, obviously we're biased, but 
I think Hawaii comes out looking like roses here because they ultimately were in their right. They won the match, and the other guys were a bunch of whiners. What's up with that? 100%. Uh, this ain't tennis. <laughs> exactly. Quieting down for the serve. Like, this is volleyball. I've never heard of that before. And I was mystified announcing that game as we were just getting piecemeal all of this information as to, like, what the heck was even going on. And so that was a, a pretty wild ride and, and, and pretty unprecedented, at least in my experience, for sure. Uh, but, yeah, 100%. Hawaii and Charlie Wade, uh, really just the Hawaii side of things, they come out looking like roses because of the fact that they didn't do anything wrong, right? They were just going about their business until Alan Knipe. And you got to love the uh, internet sometimes, right? It can be a pretty awful place every once in a while. Uh, but every great now and then, they, uh, they come up with some funny stuff. And I saw a bunch of uh, hashtag Alan Gripe on, uh, on Twitter. And that, that's, <laughs> that's good stuff because he was. He was complaining. He challenged a lot of calls. And I think that was primarily because he was specifically just trying to needle Hawaii, trying to, to distract them, trying to create a commotion on the periphery. And it worked for a time. But I think you saw Hawaii sort of rally behind uh, that example set by Charlie Wade, as you alluded to, sort of standing up to this U.S. Olympic team head coach on the other side and backing up his guys and digging in his heels. I, I think that that ultimately, over the course of the entire match, had a very positive long-term effect. And I would even go so far as to suggest that as this season plays out, looking back on that moment, that will be considered a galvanizing, pivotal moment for this Hawaii team. Their intestinal fortitude was really put to the test and was taken to task, and they were able to respond behind their feisty head coach, Charlie Wade. I think that that's going to be a moment that they look back on and say, all right, you know, this was already a pretty close-knit team, but that brought us even closer. I think at the heart of this, though, the thing that, that as I look back on it sort of upsets me the most is, hey, look, Alan Knight's just trying to, you know, that's that's – gamesmanship, right? That, that's, that's Alan Knight just trying to, you know, do what he thinks is necessary to win the game. Say what you will about it. You can criticize it for sure. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's doing what he's doing, thinking that that's what's going to help his team win this match against the number one team in the country. What I have the greater amount of, of issue with is the reaction of the officials, right? And, and I hate to call out Dixon Chun by name, but he was the guy that was sort of in the middle of all of this. For the officiating crew to just arbitrarily conjure up this mandate that UH has to abide by in terms of the crowd noise and the volume within the arena, which is a rule that doesn't actually exist, that to me was translated as the officials who are just there to adjudicate the action on the floor, actually purposefully, intentionally taking a stance that directly impacts the competitive advantage that is supposed to be supplied to the team playing on its home court. And that, to me, is inexcusable because they were overstepping their boundaries in a major way, in my opinion. They were actually directly impacting the ability for the team on their home floor to play that game in the way that they were supposed to be allowed to. I agree with you. I agree. It's, a coach is supposed to do that, right? You're trying to mess with the other team. You got to test boundaries, right? All the good coaches, they, they test the officials, see what they can get away with, what they can't get away with. And if the official is going to give them that much rope, well, you, you best believe they're going to take it, right? And to Alan Knipe's credit, he got them to go ahead and instruct the University of Hawaii to lower the volume. 
And so I, you can't hate on Allen Knight for doing that, right? He, he, he won, at least in the moment. It came to back to bite him in the, the Ocole, as you will. But, but, yeah, you can't, as an official, you can't arbitrarily make stuff up. If he's asking you to enforce a rule that's on the books that you haven't been enforcing, yeah, that's one thing. But you can't go ahead and just make up rules on the fly to try and appease a coach who's just whining. Like, you got you to gotta have a little more, uh, a little more spine. All right. Well, on that note, let's uh, move over to a little bit of baseball. And this is a big story. And this is, uh, there's a lot to unpack here, but the All-Star game is moving in Major League Baseball. They announced that they're moving the 2021 All-Star game out of the state of Georgia after the governor over there, Brian Kemp, signed a controversial new voting law that Major League Baseball says goes against its core values. Critics of this Republican-led voting overhaul say that the law hampers access to absentee voting and disproportionately and adversely impacts voting access for many minority and underprivileged communities and areas. The new law places new limits on absentee voting, bans things like providing water for people waiting in long lines at the polls, provides state officials with provisions to be able to take over local election offices, as well as other numerous impacts. Now, defenders of the law say it was necessary to restore faith in the voting process. Major League Baseball is moving the game from Atlanta to Denver, Colorado. Jordan, what do you think of MLB flexing its political and economical muscle in this way, there are some that suggest that it's actually going to hurt a lot of the people in the Atlanta area, a lot of the businesses, Black-owned businesses. You're talking about a city in Atlanta, which I believe the numbers uh, would suggest is 51% people of color. You have now a host city for the game in Denver. I think it's down to like 9%. They're saying that maybe by moving the game, they're actually hampering or adversely impacting the ability to uh, reap the benefits of the would-be revenue that comes in with the game uh, for the people that they're actually trying to take a stance on behalf of. Uh, what is your take here on all of this? Yeah, it, it, it's really interesting, right, to see leagues become more outspoken, more overt in how they operate politically, right, in, in a lot of ways. And, and you're talking about a lot of rich owners that donate, you know, to campaigns and, and, and movements and all kinds of things. And, and usually that happens a little bit more in the shadows for whatever they're supporting I'm not making an accusation either way. And it's, it's usually a lot of the players, right. That have spoken out and we are seeing leagues be much more open to making their stances or taking stances that are, you know, there, there's no reading between the lines, if you will. Uh, we've seen it with the NBA. We've seen it a little bit with the NFL. Uh, you saw it with the NBA and their all-star game, right? What was it? 2016, 2017, when they moved the, their all-star game out of Charlotte because of the, the, the bathroom bill, right? As yeah. they called it in North Carolina. And, and funny enough, one of the cities, I'm pretty sure that they considered they ultimately ended up in, in New Orleans, but I think one of the cities that was sort of on the short list was Atlanta. <laughs> so they almost nearly moved the game to Atlanta and, and a bit of irony that would have been in this situation, but there are many different factors that go into these things, right? Because you bring up a good point, right? It, it, the game is in Atlanta. The, it is a, very strong, a very large minority community. They're, they're speaking out, I think, in a lot of ways in support of that community because of the voting restrictions placed in this, in this bill, in this law now. And so does it, what's, what's the biggest impact, right? Is it playing it there? Is it making a, a big deal about it while keeping it in Atlanta, while providing, you know, the, the economic impact in Atlanta? 
uh, or does it say more to move it out, right? To move it out of Atlanta and, and take it away in whole. That's a difficult question for me. I, I, I'm not sure, you know, and you, you saw the Braves put out a statement that, that kind of made you shake your head a little bit, right? And when they were, you know, basically saying they, they weren't too happy that the game was moved. I think the bigger thing here is not whether it was necessarily the, the right way to go about it, but just the fact that they made a big statement, right? Because again, Major League Baseball, it's, that's an old sport. It's a sport that was historically white, right? That was, that was historically not integrated until very late in its history, right? It was a long time ago for some, now in 2021, but it was a long time into Major League Baseball's history and a lot of other sports, don't get me wrong. And so just the fact that Major League Baseball took a stance and took a strong stance such as this, right? Because you can get into the minutia and the details or whatever. But the fact that it's just, hey, they're moving the All-Star game because of this, that is a big statement to take. And I respect them for it. Because what is the alternative? The alternative is you stay put there. You don't make this grand statement. And what do you end up doing? You end up participating in this very awkward presentation that would occur where in this Atlanta-hosted All-Star game, they would have honored the late Hank Aaron. They would have honored his impact on not just the game of baseball, but his impact on society, right? As a black man, as one of the greatest baseball players of all time, and, and so much of the barriers that he continued to help knock down over the course of his lifetime. And so that would have been antithetical compared to what we are receiving out of what is being said is the impact likely of this new voting law. Baseball, the other thing you said, it's like you know, the oldest major sport in America. Uh, it is inherently American. That is how it markets itself. It markets itself as America's pastime. And so if it is going to tie itself to the values of what it means to be American, uh, and, and align itself with that history as tumultuous as it has been at times. I think it then behooves baseball to keep a watchful eye on situations like this where, hey, let's be honest, all right, whatever your political ideology may be placed, you cannot be in support of something in the United States of America that makes it more difficult for people, whether it's a certain people in certain communities or any people who are citizens of the United States to vote. Like that is classically American. That is at the core of the essence and the spirit of what it is to be in the United States of America. That is the crucial right. And so I think it behooves baseball to take a stand on this. And yeah, you know, it's ironic. There are going to be some minority-owned businesses in the Atlanta area that will be hurt by the lack of revenue there. Uh, and that is true. And, and that is an unfortunate byproduct. But I think the alternative for baseball, if they were to just have stayed with the plan to play that game in Atlanta, would have introduced them to a very contradictory type of, of circumstance uh, over there for the Major League Baseball All-Star game. All right, with that, we move on to the Domino's Hawaii main topping, and we're going to be talking with Craig Okita. He's the head coach for the Baldwin Bears baseball team, now on the coaching staff for the Braves in the All-Pono Spring Baseball League, a team that is comprised of primarily Baldwin Bears baseball players, uh, but it's club baseball being played in lieu of sanctioned high school baseball games on the island of Maui. Uh, he is the commissioner of the league, so let's uh, go ahead and play that interview with Coach Okita right now. Hey, Coach, long time no talk. How you doing, man? Good. Uh, things are, are good here at Maui. We, we're, we're back on the baseball field this past Saturday, so 
you know, I guess you can say things are moving in the right direction. Yeah, you seem to have a little gleam in your eye as we're uh, doing this interview <laughs> over Zoom. Uh, seems like you're in a in a good mode uh, because of the fact that yeah, you have you have baseball back back in your life. You're able to coach up the kids. They're able to play some games. Uh, part of the All Pono Spring Baseball League. Give us a sense of what this thing is like in lieu of a more sanctioned and uh, formal high school season? Well, I guess this is as close as we're going to get this year to any type of competition for our high school student athletes. So uh, the kids are excited. They, they, they understand that their, their season will not happen. Well, they understood that for, for a while now. And when we you know, started talking this, trying to make this league a reality, the, the kids and the parents were really excited about it. And you know, I, they, I cannot say how excited the kids are. You know, two of the, our seniors mentioned that they didn't have much sleep Friday night because of the game. And, and it was just a game. But, you know, it, it, it just goes to show you how, how important it is for these, you know, seniors and, and underclassmen as well, but more so for the seniors to, to get out there and compete. For a little background, uh, how privy are you to just what it took to kind of get this thing off the ground and, and set it up to where these guys could take the field? Well, initially, we, 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 because we couldn't get back at Baldwin or, or anywhere else, um, I talked to John and Miley about run, starting this all-pono uh, league. And, and this, this is the, the prior league where we just reached out to, to most of the all-pono kids of the past, and then we supplemented that to, to get 60 kids out there. And my biggest concern at the time was I, I didn't want to be the guy to police all the teams and, and be held responsible for all the teams with, with this COVID restrictions and all of that. So, you know, I, I talked to the other Baldwin coaches and, and we kind of came up with the idea to work with 60 kids. And, you know, we, we had kids from just about every high school, but it was limited to 60 kids and, and we, we divided them in, in two groups, freshmen and sophomores, juniors and seniors, and, and we just scrimmaged each other. And then news came about that the MIL season was actually going to be canceled. And then we met with Miley and John again and, you know, they, they got their blessing and, and here we are. Yeah, it's so awesome, right? I mean, you got six teams in there. Uh, basically, all the baseball playing high schools are are sort of represented, at least the ones here on Maui. Um, it, it, being around the league for for so long, you know, it's it's ultra competitive. The competition is is intense, but I think friendly in a lot of ways. And and just how much of those relationships, you know, what you have with the coaches at the other high schools, um, how, how instrumental was that in sort of getting everybody on board? Because as you mentioned, right, it's, it's hard for one guy to, to sort of police and, and make this all happen. But the buy-in from all the other coaches is, as you guys were able to pull this off. The buy-in from the other coaches, you know, was, was, was fantastic. You know, I guess every coach felt the need to get their kids back on the field. So as soon as I, I asked, the, the response I got across the board was, was yes, we're in. And, you know, that was the first step where I, you know, I wanted to make sure we would have the participation and, and not go through the whole process and, and make it just a three-team league. So once I got that confirmation from the coaches, you know, it was full steam ahead. I mean, there, there was a lot of stuff that needed to be done, but, you know, everybody was on board quickly and, and, and you know, things progressed quickly because 
you know, the, the news came about and it was, it was pretty quick. Um, it was a pretty quick turnaround once we figured out that we wouldn't be allowed to get back to high school conditioning or practicing. So it was, this happened pretty quick, but it was, it was a, definitely a, a collaborative effort between, you know, Miley and John, um, the county and, and, you know, the MIL releasing the fields. What are the what are the games sort of look like? I'm sure you guys have you know some some different protocol of where you can sit in the dugout for for those not familiar with the fields on Maui. I believe you guys are playing in Maui High and Eddie Tam, right? The they're, they're sort of open air, if you will. It's not a stadium setting or anything like. I mean, can people watch? How do, how does that all work? Well, yeah, you you can watch. People can watch. It's a, it's a big field, so and yes, we are playing at Maui High School and Eddie Tam. And so, you know, there's a lot of room for, for the parents to space out and, and, and watch the game. So there, there is some people there. Um, the kids, we tell our kids to stay out of the dugout since the dugouts are too small there. So you know, we, we spread out and try to spread out on, on, the, on the grass and on the, the bleachers on the side. But, um, you know, just for this first week, we, we ended up playing Maui High first. And, and you know, it was it – was, you know, the game went by really quickly and, and it was a pitching duel. And I mean, it, it, you, you didn't have the, the luster of, of the MIL Maui High versus Baldwin type game in the stadium. But, you know, the kids knew, you know, they, they knew who they were up, up against. And, you know, it, like you guys said, it, it was, you know, it was that sense of competition and, and you're going out there, even though it doesn't mean a thing, but you're going out there for, for pride. Yeah, there's a bit of a, a wink-wink sort of aspect to this, right? I mean, that was essentially Baldwin versus Maui High, uh, but I think the team names officially are the Braves versus the Royals, right, respectively. Uh, and so this is a very simple question. When you guys are doing a team yell, do you say Baldwin or do you say Braves? Uh, you're going to get me into trouble, Kamal, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Something that starts with a B, right? <laughs> yeah, no, we, we say Braves and we say Royals. Yeah, you know, there's all types of restrictions that, that what we can do and cannot do and stuff. And, you know, it, I, my goal was to try and get this to feel like and replicate a high school game. You know, our, our seniors have lost so much in the last two years. A lot of them have dedicated their life to the game of baseball and have, have waited their, their, so to speak, their turn to, to compete. And, you know, they lost their junior year and senior year, and I, I feel terrible for them. So I'm just trying to, to do what I can to give them all I can and all we can to, to somewhat salvage their last, you know, month of baseball or month or, or two of baseball here on Maui before they, they you know, could move on to college. Because not everybody moves on to college and, and plays baseball. And for some kids, this, this will be their last game so to speak and so I, I I'm just trying to give them that opportunity and, and one which we didn't have for our seniors last year yeah it's twofold this is an experience obviously that you want for the kids generally speaking because it's an outlet for them you know a lot of them have been you know pent up and they haven't been able to engage in normal extracurricular activity for so long and so there is sort of just a mental and physical health aspect to this uh, but also, if you look closer at the baseball side of it, uh, there are ramifications in terms of recruiting and opportunities for these kids to, as you alluded to, play at the next level. Do you think that, that, that this, just playing in this set of circumstances can assist in, in terms of, of some added visibility or exposure? 
I'm not sure if we'll, we'll, we'll get that because it's such a makeshift type of league. You know, um, our, we have five seniors at Baldwin and, you know, they, they were fortunate enough to work and get through this pandemic and they have, you know, secured spots and on, on teams across the, the nation. So they, they, all five of them will be moving on and, and playing collegiate baseball. And, um, you know, so that, that was sort of relieving for me where, you know, yes, I'm sure they would have liked to have gotten more attention and maybe more opportunities, but they were able to salvage and, and make do with what they had. And, um, you know, they're going to be moving on and, and getting an opportunity to play. But, you know, to answer your question, I, in this league, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of exposure or, you know, most, most people kind of know where they're going already next year. And, and the guys that, that were getting attention were, were probably contacted and, and looked at already. And, you know, because there's nothing that they know that they're not going to be able to base or gather any new information this year with, with the seasons, you know, shut down. How much were guys playing before that? I, I know some of the younger age groups have been playing since like last summer, you know, here on Maui and, and some of those leagues just, just don't stop. And, but you know, the older age group kids keep kind of maybe falling by the, you know, falling through the cracks a little bit. And I know you guys were efforting to, to get these older kids games, but how much were they playing before this, this league started up just this past weekend? Well, we, we had like a winter league and which, you know, we, we got the kids out. Um, it was through Maui Bronco league and it was, you know, uh, just a winter league and it was an, an informal league just to get the kids out. And then, you know, we did the, the first Alpono thing and that started in February, February and March. But those were, you know, there were no practice days. It was just basically scrimmages and you go out and you scrimmage and two times a week. Um, and, and, you know, and that's it. And everybody basically works out on their own. And, and some guys, most guys don't have a place to work out, you know, so it was just to get the kids back out there. And then we had like a little break, maybe a two-week break. And then we, we stopped because we thought the MIL was going to be able to proceed with the conditioning and practice. And so everybody would split up and go their own way. But then the numbers changed and we got in, informed that hey, we might not be able to go. And, and that's, you know, when this started up. So sporadically, they were playing here and there, but, Nothing, no real organized type of league or, or, or any type of competitive baseball. You know, I mean, we wouldn't be doing this now if it wasn't um, for, for the state we're in, you know, with, with this, mm -hmm. with the MIL shutdown. But so, yeah, not a whole lot, but we've had some field usage. Is there, uh, are there some summer opportunities for, for some of these younger guys, maybe not the ones going to college, but... You know, Maui in general has just been so good <laughs> in the youth baseball circuit in the summer. I mean, you've been a part of some of these world championship teams in the last handful of years. But is there are there plans for, for some of these guys to, to take part in, you know, some, whether it's the Little League umbrella or the Horse League or whatnot, but, uh, you know, some of these opportunities to maybe go play on the mainland in some of those regional zone tournaments? Yeah, I, I believe um, Little League is has their tournaments set. You know, they're, they're hopeful that, that they can get everything, all the teams qualified and, and all of that. So they do, I was informed that they do have their, their structure set up. So it's just a matter of if they'll be able to get the, the kids to qualify and the games in and all of that. Our Pony, our Omawi Bronco League, I heard that they're not 
going to do that. They're, they're, they're going to waive their, that opportunity to advance. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I think the, the only opportunity for you to leave and, and play in a regional this year would probably be under Little League, as, as opposed to years past when you had two different opportunities, right? So, yeah, I mean, and, and still there's, there's some uncertainty there as well. But I think that's the goal. Um, I think Little League's trying to get the kids back out. But, again, it would depend on a, a number of variables as well. How difficult has this whole thing been for you? And, and even just maybe overall frustrating at times. I mean, you picked a heck of a time to take over the Baldwin program, uh, affected by COVID uh, almost immediately. And obviously, as Jordan mentioned, uh, you know, you're a guy who's very active in the summer baseball circuits. And uh, so what has this been like for you as a coach, as someone who is so tied to that sport of baseball? It's, it's, been, it's been hard. It's definitely been hard. And, you know, in, like last year, you get all geared up and ready to go and you're, 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 you've done all what you needed to do to prepare and then you're just about to start your season and it, and it hits you in the gut, right? And, and, you know, I had no idea it'd be like this. And, and in fact, a lot of people didn't either. And I, I was naive, I guess you could say, where I'm thinking, okay, well, we'll everybody will hunker down for two, three, four weeks and we'll get right back to it. But, you know, here we are today, um, more than a year later, and, and we're still not, you know, able to have a season. So it's been tough. It's been tough on the, the coaches. It's been really tough on the kids. Um, I, I, I can tell you that. You know, I just, just this past Saturday, one of, one of the, our kids, you know, he came up to me. He, he, he's not practicing, and, and he's not, you know, in the groove, but he goes in, and, and he's, he's not – he didn't play very well. And – you know, at the end of the game, he looks at me and he tells me, Coach, I'm done. And, you know, it, it, just to hear that from, from a kid, and, and, like, I didn't know how, how to respond to that. And I said, why? why? Why are you done? He said, well, you know, there's no high school baseball. Um, you know, I'm struggling with this school thing, you know, trying to get good grades. And, and so he's, he's a kid that, you know, he's, he's a two-time uh, world champ you know he's he's a good baseball player but this whole thing is has really really affected him and that, that kind of concerned me a little bit where you know it's these kids need this you know a lot of, a lot of people don't realize that but some kids need this and and for for me to hear something like that really kind of hits home for me you know it's here we are trying to do what we can and a kid like that who's struggling you know is, is ready to quit baseball and that that like i said that's that's not good yeah it sounds like that really affected you uh, as someone mm -hmm. in a role of being uh, you know a coach slash guidance counselor slash protector of of some of the feelings of these guys it sounds mm -hmm. like that really that really had an impact no definitely definitely you know just to hear that and and like i said the, the kid you know he he has he has some you know he doesn't have an easy life I can I can tell you that I mean he, he's he has some struggles along the way but you know he's a good kid he he's he's he likes baseball he loves baseball you know I mean like I said he he's, he's a two-time world champion and how how do you how do you quit now your junior year you know like what what's going through your head and and you know it's just 
our whole the schooling, you know, trying to get grades and struggling to get grades, and you know that that I think that whole whole toll for these kids have been for some of them it's fine, but but for for some others it's it's really really affecting them. So you know, as I said, I, that, that's why I felt compelled to go out and do what we can to to try to get some normalcy, to try and get these kids back on the field, to get back in that groove, and and I'm hoping that. You know, I, I won't hear anything like that. And I, I'm hoping he comes back on Saturday because he, he, he told me he'd, he'd go think about it. And, and if, if you don't see him next week, Saturday, which is in, in you know, three days, then, then he's done. So I'm, I'm hoping I see him on Saturday, you know. Well, I know it's, it's very clear how much, how much you care and how invested you are. It's pretty remarkable for sure. On the other side of the coin, if you will, uh, there are a lot of players who at least – from what I've heard and what we understand, uh, who, despite the fact that they haven't played a ton of baseball over the last year, uh, still look pretty sharp. Uh, are there any names you could call upon as far as, as kids that blew you away a little bit as, as to just how sharp they still were? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, besides our guys, like I, I get to see our guys all the time. You know, we played Maui High. Um, you know, they they – they threw the, this kid Allwood. You know, he's a junior. He's he's gonna be he's gonna be a, a force next year. You know, they uh, Keelan Yagi is their catcher. You know, he looked tough. You know, on Saturday as well. But he he's been playing here and there sporadically. So I haven't had the opportunity to to play everybody yet. Um, but you know, P- Keone Painter from Kamehameha. You know, he's he's tough. I mean. He'll be, he's a junior. He'll be back next year. I mean, he'll, he'll be a force in the ML for sure. And so, you know, they're Tiger Crawford. You know, he's, he's, he would have been, he would have been really good for Kamehameha this year. So, I mean, there's a bunch of, of very good kids across the MIL. Um, and then, you know, I'm sure we'll be keeping tabs of them, you know, in the years to come, hopefully in, in college. And hopefully they get an opportunity to do some big things um, beyond high school. That's that's awesome, right? And, and some of those names are, are pretty familiar, I think, to, to baseball fans on Maui. Um, you know, it, we were talking to you before we, we started recording here, and and just the, the number of kids that you have, I, I got to imagine, at some of these other schools as well. I mean, are you um, surprised at all or, or just kind of excited by just the amount of kids? You know, I know you shared the story about, you know, some of the kids who, who've really struggled through this, but a lot of them seemingly have sort of jumped at the opportunity to to get back out there. Definitely, you know, I think Maui High has. When when Chase sent me his sent me his roster, I think he had like thirty five kids, you know, on it, and I, I, he he tried to submit it as, as two teams, and I said, you know, Chase, you got one team, you can have more than than thirty guys, but you gotta manage that and make sure just thirty guys show up at a game because that's the, the the that's the maximum players and coaches. So he's got a ton of guys. Kamehameha's got a ton of guys. Um, you know, the Lahaina guys, they, 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 I think they got 12 or 13. Hana got tw- has 12 or 13. And, you know, King K, I haven't played them yet. Um, we, ha- we haven't played them yet, and we'll be playing them this, this weekend. But, you know, I would expect to, for their numbers to be somewhere in that area. But it, it's, it's really hard to manage a game with 20-plus with kids. And, and you need the doubleheaders, and you, you, you're trying to get your seniors – the most playing time, but then again, you don't want the young underclassmen to be just 
watching as well, right? I want to get everybody participating. So we're actually trying to um, talk to the county and the MIL to get them to release the fields during the week. Because we already found out today that we're not going to be able to practice or, or, or condition next week. So I talked to John and, you know, he's going to try and coordinate with, with the county and the MIL. But, you know, it, it's, I know it's not easy. Um, it, you know, like we can only control so much. And we're kind of hoping the MIL releases the field next week. So maybe we can slide in a few more games during the week instead of just waiting for Saturdays. Yeah? Just playing on Saturdays is tough when you have 25 kids. Yeah, I, I got to imagine, you know, once, once everybody, you mentioned the kids who were, who were really excited. And, and so, yeah, everything leads up to Saturday. Now you got to wait a whole week. It's like a football season or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then it, it's all quiet, right? And no, I, I don't hear anything from any of the kids. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, comes Friday. And then, then I get these questions and then texts from the kids. And it's all of a sudden, it's everybody's excited Friday night. And, and then you play for on Saturday. And again, you, you know, you don't hear or you don't converse with them until the next week. So, yeah, it's 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 a long break. I mean, everybody's looking for things to do during the week. I mean, truthfully, my lifestyle has changed tremendously in this time. I mean, normally I'm straight to work to practice, but I've, I've taken up golf in, in the absence of baseball. And so every day I come home and I'm, I'm doing something for golf. I mean, whether it's, you know, chipping or putting or going to the driving range. I mean, but yeah, I think, you know, I, I think I'd rather be doing baseball than golf actually, but you know, that's, that's, that's kind of what's happening at this point. Well, it leads us to the very obvious and important question. What is your golf game like? And is it competitive with the likes of John Viela and company? John Viela is, is, <laughs> is too good. Uh, you know, he's, he's probably, he, his handicap is like three strokes lower than mine right now, actually. Somewhere in that neighborhood. I think it should be four, uh, more than three, actually. But, you know, that's, that's a different story. But, yeah, I mean, we, we had this... Pono Beat uh, Golf Club, it, that's grown in, during this pandemic. So we're all playing. I mean, it's, it's you know, that competitive spirit, right? I mean, I don't want to go out there and, and lose money every week. It's not a lot of money we play for, but it's more for pride and a few dollars here and there. But I don't want to be known as a guy who's donating every week. So that's that golf thing has been taking up my time. And, and then, you know, it's, like I said, I'm ready to get back to baseball instead. Yeah, I've actually mixed it up with that group a, a couple of times, and it is cutthroat, man. They, they, it is yeah. take no prisoners style golf out there on the course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. And it sounds yeah, like say. it sounds like you're uh, you know making the argument to get a few more strokes from Johnny V. You know what I mean? Yeah, right, right. He could give a few more. You know, he's he's <laughs> he's a he's a good golfer. I mean, he's probably his handicap should probably be a five or a six. I would wow. say. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, he's he's good, and there, there's some good guys that we play with. So it, it kind of, like I said, it pushes you to be better, right? Yeah, yeah I've seen I've seen those guys you golf with. I I, yeah. I understand why practice is important during the week. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you serve as the league commissioner, and from what I gather, our buddy Rob Coleus in his recent. Uh, article in the Maui News mentioned that Hana has reached out to you, and and so have there been. Any further thoughts uh, as far as, as, you know, expanding this thing, expanding this thing, you know, deeper into the, the summertime or, or what are you kind of looking at? Well, okay. Hana reached out to me. They're going to start this Saturday, okay. which you know, I, I'm, 
you know, excited for them because they're excited as well, you know, to get out here. That's great. Um, Lionel at St. Anthony was having pro- problems with getting the kids to commit because of that COVID scare and all of that stuff in Seabury. So he just sent me a text saying that he's going to get some kids from Molokai coming over. So they're, they're joining in and, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to be ready to play this week, but they'll, they'll play the third and fourth week in April. So, you know, it's, it's gaining some interest all over the place, you know, and, and I'm hoping we can expand this league. If the MIL doesn't proceed in, in, into the first and second week of May, you know, ultimately what, what I'd really like to do, and, you know, I, I've talked to some people about this already is, you know, I'd like to get just one last game for each team to make it their last game, be their senior night and let it, let it, let it happen in the stadium. You know, it, the stadium's ready to go. The county has said that if the MIL is ready to go, the stadium will be there for them. But, you know, if the MIL doesn't go, I, I think this would be an, a, a great opportunity for our outgoing seniors to at least get that one last game in front of their parents, their, their families, and, and have that, that special senior night. Because that, you know, that senior night is, I, I've been a part of that senior night a few times, and it's special. It, it's special. And a, a lot of people don't realize that, um, you know, I guess most, most in part because they have, haven't been to one. But for the kids and their, their families, it's, it's something they'll never forget. And I'm hoping, you know, we're able to work with the county and work with the MIL to release the fields if we don't get back to playing soon and, and we can coordinate something like that. I mean, you know, the parents and the players, I cannot stress enough how, how grateful they would be to have that last opportunity. Well, I know that this is a really strange time, uh, but I applaud your efforts and really the efforts of everybody involved to put something together. Good luck to the Braves and uh, good luck to the uh, good luck on those uh, Pono Golf Sunday. Yeah, you know, I'm not too worried about the Pono Golf Sundays. I, I guess I better start getting more of my attention to those Braves. I'm, I'm hoping we can get back out there to practice. But in the meantime, the Pono Golf Sundays will, will have to do. All right, big thanks to Craig Okita for giving us the time and best of luck uh, to the All Pono Spring Baseball League for uh, hopefully being able to play out this season and give these kids some memorable moments uh, to look back on. All right, time for our post game. Best and Worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit WasteProHawaii.com for services information. All right, we'll start with my best, and I'm going to go with a guy who has a connection to Maui, Kanekoa Teixeira, the manager that's right. It was announced just the other week that the Maui native Kamehameha Kapalama grad and former big league pitcher is now the manager of the Rome Braves, Atlanta's Class A advanced affiliate team, being elevated from his previous position as the team's pitching coach. So congratulations to Kanikoa, one of the nicest dudes around. And uh, yeah, climbing up that ladder, as they say. Yeah, awesome, right? Remember when Maui had three major leaguers at the same time? <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> What a transition for Kanekoa, right? A pitching coach, and now he's working his way as a manager and still a pretty young guy, especially to be managing an affiliated professional baseball team. Yeah, he just seems to have the temperament and the disposition. I think he's going to do a great job. All right, what is your best, Jordan? 
Yeah, my best. I'm actually going to go two for one here. So I'll kind of sandwich in the middle of your best and worst. Uh, first time I think I've done this, but we're trying to get more economical with this whole thing. But no, Hawaii baseball guys, Isaiah kind of for Lefa, shameless plug, also a former guest on this show. If you haven't caught it, go back to the archives uh, on the old LTS pod. Uh, his introduction at the Rangers home opener in front of a sold out crowd at Globe Life Park or Field or whatever it's called now there in Arlington. It was pretty cool. He's the leadoff guy. So he's the first guy out of the dugout, right? At least among the starters. And just hearing the roar of the crowd, it, it little, little bit chicken skin. It's like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. This is pretty awesome. And, it's, and obviously the fact that he's the, you know, the, the leadoff batter in the opening day and he's, he's playing shortstop and the Rangers lost that game. He, he went two for four and he's, he's off to a pretty nice start here, obviously coming off of the gold glove in 2020. But it was just pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And then, so I'm just going to transition to my worst here. There were like 40-something thousand people there because it was a sold-out crowd and it's Texas. And, it, you know, nobody needs the mask because it's not that, – that's, that's the rules there. And, and it is what it is. And, you know, the entire Nationals team is like on the 10-day COVID DL now. And so it's not like it's still a thing. It's still a thing in Major League Baseball and really everywhere else in society anywhere you look. The roar of the crowd, it was like, man, I miss that. I miss that. So I just – I felt myself so torn because what a cool moment for Isaiah, right? Go out there, the loud crowd after not having nobody there last year. But then the, the worst about it is, how did, did, did they need that many people there? Like was, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I was a little torn. I was a little torn. So it was simultaneously my best and maybe my worst. Yeah, I'm with you. That was conflicting. Uh, just, you know, seeing him out there and he mentioned that it was almost as if it was like his debut in the bigs again, right? It had been so long since he had played in front of the fans. And, you know, he has just become such a major piece of that franchise uh, and grown in stature there that, yeah, I think he probably felt a level of appreciation from the fans that he didn't feel at the time pre-COVID, right? You know, he's, he's just become that, that big of a star over there. Uh, coming off of that gold glove performance last year. So, yeah, I was happy for him to get that kind of feedback from the fans. It's well-deserved. But I also was like, this feels uncomfortable. There's so many people there. I'm not sure how to feel about this. And uh, we'll see. You know, uh, a super moment for Izzy could also be a super spreader moment for Arlington, Texas. So let's uh, let's keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best. All right, my worst, uh, the truth hurts. Paul Pierce, known as The Truth, uh, NBA superstar, was let go by ESPN in the wake of his posting an Instagram live video showing him, I believe, like playing cards and smoking a cigar while exotic dancers were performing around him. You know, a Tuesday. And also rubbing his shoulders and all of that stuff. We know exactly what that lifestyle is like. Uh, but in very Charlie Sheen fashion, after this announcement by ESPN, Pierce took to social media, posted another video featuring him just smiling and laughing. It was uh, very ambiguous and weird. Uh, with a following tweet that said, I can't lose. Even when I lose, I'm winning. And it just has all kinds of shades of Charlie Sheen, right? Just winning. And I'm thinking like, what? are you doing Paul Pierce right for a guy who had built a, a pretty incredible reputation uh, and was getting this this wonderful opportunity to be an analyst uh, in his post playing days uh, just to treat it so flippantly like oh whatever ESPN I don't need you I just need the women in thongs dancing around me and rubbing my shoulders I found it uh, a little bit strange and odd but uh, this from the man who brought you the infamous wheelchair bathroom break comes his next hit defiant delusion Paul Pierce who I gotta be honest is one of my least favorite analysts anyway so I'm not exactly 
heartbroken by the fact that he's not going to be part of ESPN's coverage. He seemed like the guy maybe more so than anybody uh, that just mailed it in, right? Didn't really do like any homework, always applied his own biases, right? Kind of hated on LeBron, would always be self-aggrandizing, would always sort of point the narrative back at him. And so he, he wasn't really my cup of tea to begin with. Uh, but Paul Pierce, man, the truth, this time it hurts. Yeah, what, 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 is, what was he doing? The, the other thing, and, and like the, the younger generation, right, air quotes, gets the bad rap. I was like, why is he on Instagram Live? Like, what, what is the purpose, Paul Pierce? Like, just enjoy your time. Do what you do on your off hours. You know, no judgment here. But if you're going to, why is broadcasting it all over the place? It's like, dude, what are you, what are you doing? He had it made. It's he just, had the easiest he, he gig had it ever. It, it, seriously, mailing it in, making a good chunk of change with ESPN, because I am with you. And I'll say this because Paul Pierce, I looked it up. His career own career earnings, career basketball earnings, right? This doesn't count anything else off the court. Over $195 million. $195 million, huh? You know what? I take it back. The I can't lose even when I lose, I'm winning quote is very accurate. All right, that's our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. Uh, that's it for us. Thanks to Craig Okita for joining us on the program. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helly, or at TalkSports808. We will do it again next week, Jordan. Have a good one. Sounds good, man.